be my witnesses. This will happen when the Holy Spirit comes. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. We're all, by the power of the Holy Spirit, called to be witnesses. But most of us intuitively recognize that the further you get out from the center of the concentric circles of concern, the more you move away from your comfort zone of your Jerusalem or Judea, the more difficult things are. And so to go through the cultural stresses and to be doing this for over a quarter century, to me, speaks volumes of the dedication of David and Nicole both. And so I think it, it really is a privilege to hear from, from Nicole this morning, who not only has a missionary heart, but also has a, a chaplain heart as well, as she is uh, currently uh, finishing, she's got one more year, I guess, of res- residency for this pastoral clinical uh, education, a degree in this. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited for you to be listening to Nicole this morning, and I pray that in light of her obvious dedication to the Lord and the, the great sacrifice and the desire to finish strong, because they're not done. You could, When you're a missionary, just like in any field, you could stop. You can do something else. A lot of missionaries don't last that long because of the extraordinary stress that is involved in being cross-cultural with your life. They're going back uh, in another year. They were going to be going back in May, but because of COVID, things got complicated. They're not going to be leaving until May of next year to go, hopefully, as the plans stand, to Belgium to serve. And so in light of the desire for Nicole and David to finish strong, in light of where they've been, in light of their dedication, I think it's just an enormous privilege uh, to hear from Nicole this morning. And I did have an opportunity to hear her in the first service. And in case any of you are wondering, hey, does the pastor agree with that? She kind of got out there a little bit. That was, would, would Ernest agree with that? That was kind of weird. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it, it's thorough, it's complex, and also very challenging and convicting. And so if you would, just open up your heart, open up, open, open up your mind, open up your life. Uh, to Nicole as she brings the message this morning. And so would you give her a warm Main Street welcome. Thank you for being here. Okay. All right. Let's get off camera for, for this. All right. There we go. There we go. Thank you. Is that better? Yeah, that was good. Gina was watching, so it's all it's all good. All right. Can you hear me now? All right. Okay, we're good. We should have stayed on camera for accountability, but um, <laughs> thank you for the kind words. Um, if you talk to me more than ten or fifteen minutes, you'll see all the character flaws that I have, and truly. If I do or say anything that ministers to someone, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is not false humility. That is a recognition of the pride that I carry every day and um, the ways that I fail God in uh, failing him in times of prayer, failing times of Bible study. So, um, yeah, if I say anything today that means anything to you, it's all the Holy Spirit. I want you to think to a time in your life when circumstances brought you to your knees with overwhelming pain and despair. If you haven't experienced that, I'm really sorry, but you will. It'll come because it's part of our human circumstance. It's part of our nature. We live in a broken world. And I think of... So many times in my life 
when I was brought to that place. And it's not just because we're missionaries living overseas. It's just because we're human. There was a time when we were one of the first people to come across a horrific wreck in which many people died. The trauma from that kept me awake that night and for several days. I think about when our son, our firstborn, was eight weeks old and had to have heart surgery because he was in heart failure. I think about colleagues that we poured our life and heart into only to be betrayed in some way. When you experienced those things, what, what did you need from the people around you? What kind of support and love were you looking for? And did anyone give that to you? Or if they did, what was it that surprised you, that helped, that that seems intuitively like it wasn't important, but it really just fit the need that you had? And often, I think, we think that having these weaknesses means we're not a good Christian. We're supposed to be able to go from trauma to peace, from heartbreak to complete faith in Christ, and there's no pain in between. And if we were better Christians, it wouldn't hurt us. we just roll along like a robot, just right on top of the waves, and everything would be fine. And, and those waves would never come crashing over us and never threaten to drown us. Well, let's take a moment and see what Scripture has to say. If you'll stand, let's read Matthew 26, 33-46. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them. To a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you cannot watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, 
and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You may be seated. We see in these verses what the gospel tells us over and over again, but what we so seldom understand. Jesus experienced human pain and grief. We like to think of him as being an immovable force, that nothing anybody ever said hurt him. Nothing ever really affected him. He just, he's God, and so he just moved on. But the Bible tells us over and over again that his heart was broken. And it also tells us that God's heart in in heaven can be sorrowful and broken. We want to think that no circumstance ever surprised him or caused him pain. But he prayed to be spared, and his sweat, as we are told in Luke 22, was like drops of blood. How many times have you found yourself in the midst of an unbearably painful situation and prayed that God would spare you or spare the people close to you? And God said no. You felt abandoned. You felt like God didn't care. Like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling and he wasn't fulfilling any of the promises that he gave you in the Bible. But he said no to Jesus because his will needed to be done and that was part of it. And through pain is how we grow and how we come to trust him. But have you noticed in this story That Jesus, in his pain, asked his disciples to be with him. And they failed him. They had just said they would do anything for him. They'd even die with him. And they couldn't stay awake. Do any of us have 12 people in our lives that we could go to? 12 different people that no matter what was happening, we could ask them to sit with us in the middle of our greatest pain. If we're lucky, we have one. Jesus had 12, and none of them could do it. They didn't know what he was about to go through. They didn't know about the crucifixion, but they could see his sorrow. Galatians 6.2 tells us that the church is told we must carry one another's burdens. We must be there for each other. We all know of people who have felt rejected by the church. In their pain and in their sorrow, they were ignored. Or they were told something that made them feel guilty. And they left the church. I believe there is nothing more damaging within the body of Christ than not being with each other when we're in the midst of our pain. There are two ways in which we inflict pain on each other. The first is that we ignore people. We ignore the problem because, well, you know, we will go and we talk to them, but I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I don't want to cause more pain by making them talk about it. And the truth is, I don't want to talk about it. Right? And so we ignore them. 
Let's take, let's take a story here and talk about Tom. So Tom is a widower. He has a young family, young children, and his wife died of cancer. So the church was really supportive. In the first couple of weeks, his Sunday school class made sure he had a meal every night. He had to start putting stuff in the freezer because they couldn't eat at all. People were praying for him. And after about three weeks, he starts to come out of the shock. And the church starts to distance themselves. He comes to church and people don't really want to talk to him. Or they're like, oh, how are you doing? And move on. Right? Or they talk to him, but they never actually want to talk about the problem. And all of a sudden, he's carrying this huge burden alone. And I I used this example because it doesn't have any kind of stigma to it. But let's think about someone who had a suicide in their family. How much less are they going to feel like they can reach out? How much more are we uncomfortable in going to them and talking to them? Abuse, a violent attack, bankruptcy, accusations of wrongdoing. And people walk along, alone in the body of Christ. The other thing that we do, I'm going to be really honest, this is the thing that bothers me the most, is we spout Christian platitudes, Christian ease as advice that is supposed to bring comfort. So what might people tell Tom? God loved your wife so much that he couldn't wait for her to be in heaven. Or he needed another angel. So theologically, you know, we don't become angels. But we'll ignore that for the moment. It's supposed to be comforting. You know, your mom is in heaven and she's watching over you. She's an angel. But when you think about it, what are you really telling people? God was so selfish that he wanted to take my mom, my wife away instead of being here to love us and take care of us. Maybe he's going to hear, God never gives you more than you can bear. Now that's theologically true, right? The Bible tells us that. But when someone is walking under such burden and such grief, someone who, who can't even breathe, it's hard to take in the next breath. They actually have to think about it. And you're telling them, oh, it's okay. You know, it's not more than you can bear. It doesn't heal. Some other Christianese platitudes are God is in control. And I really don't like that one. Because God is in control of the big picture. And when we give him our life, he's in control because we've given it to him. But someone might be thinking God is in control of the shooter that started shooting into a crowd of people. How about um, God knew this was going to happen? Nothing surprises him. Well, it surprised me. You have to have faith. You just need to depend on prayer. All of these things are based on beliefs that maybe the person is questioning. Maybe he's really struggling with God. Is God good? Is God kind? 
Does God keep his promises? And so you're giving them something and they're like, well, now I feel guilty because I'm not a good enough Christian to just land on that promise. There's another another one I want to share with you. It happened to me in my life. We were in Malawi and I'd given birth to our third child and went into severe postpartum depression. So my first one, it was a baby blues. My second child, it was a little bit stronger baby blues. My third child, it need, I needed help. And we were three countries away from a psychiatrist. So my teammates were going to notice that our whole family was gone. And I sat down with my teammate and my friend, and I told her, you know, I'm going through postpartum depression. It's really severe. I'm going to go get some help. And her very first question, the first words out of her mouth were, how much of this do you think is sin in your life? And I said, well, I think it's chemical. Um, And she didn't know if she agreed with that. You think, well, that was 20 years ago. People know a lot more about depression today. Nobody's going to do that. I have really close friends who have a young adult daughter who's going through depression. And they have said the exact same words to her. And now she carries guilt because she requires medication to live a life of joy. We have to be careful in what we say. Some different kinds of crisis. I'm just going to go through these really quick because I want us to think about it for a minute. The death of a pet is something that we don't think about. I'm not a pet person. I really want to be a pet person. I love the idea of being a pet person. And you 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 see these dogs and they behave so well and they're so pretty. And I'm just like, oh, I wish I could do that. But I just really can't. Give me a baby with drool all over it and, you know, spit up and I'm there. I'm, yeah, no worries. You give me a dog with a cold, wet nose, not gonna, I don't like it. (laughs) But for some people, the loss of a pet is the loss of a family member, especially if they live alone. A job loss, the loss of a relationship, a violent attack, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, severe injury, being unfairly accused or attacked at work, being betrayed by a close friend, having a child who's going through their own crisis, depression, mental illness. Do not devalue other people's experiences simply because you don't think it's something that would hurt you. If it hurts them, it hurts. So let's get out of the pit and all the things we do wrong and talk about what we should do right. Rules of loving the hurting. The very first thing, don't disappear. Treat them like a person. They're still there. Ask them what's going on. And if they don't want to talk about the serious stuff, talk about the lighthearted stuff. But don't disappear. Be present with them at church. When they come in the doors, they're still a member of your family, your Christian family. Show up. Go to them. 
Don't ask, call me, call me if there's anything you need. Because they're not going to do that because they don't know if you really mean it. So show up and call them. And then here's the most important thing. Learn to listen. I can't tell you how many times I have been driven to my knees and in my prayers, all I wanted to do was let out a wail so loud it would shake the foundations. And I couldn't do it because I always had children at home. And they might get a little scared. (laughs) But I had no words. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Let me ask a really difficult question here. If even the Holy Spirit cannot translate our pain into words, why do we think we have the words that will fix people? The simple pat answers. Words can hurt even when they're meant in the best way. So we must listen. This is the rule. Listen. When we, when we hear somebody talking, what are we doing? We're thinking of what to say next. Oh yeah, that's right. You did that. I had that same experience. Let me tell you about my experience. Or let me tell you the wisdom, the answer to your problem. Stop thinking about what you want to say and just listen. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Proverbs 18, 13. The Holy Spirit should be a model for us. Listening to the pain of others and then taking that pain to God in prayer. We listen with the intent of finding out more. What I say should not be about me. It should be about them. And so we ask questions or we give affirmation of their experience. We say, what is the worst part of that? And you may think that that's a really silly question. Someone has experienced a death in their family or has been betrayed and, well, yeah, it's all bad, right? But what is the worst part? How did that make you feel? I know it's kind of a joke question now with about counselors and psychiatrists. But really, how did that make you feel? I hear that you feel angry or sad. Am I right? Is that what you're feeling? I'm sorry you're so alone. I am really sad that you feel rejected or alone or hurt. It sounds like you're really angry at God. And by the way, that's not a sin. If you dig in and refuse to get over it, God's got a problem with you. But if you think your anger is going to knock God off his throne, you think too much of yourself. It's okay to be angry and to work through it. 
and to grow through it? Or what are you most worried about in this situation? What makes you feel stronger? What gives you peace? And don't think that just because someone is a Christian that they're going to say prayer and Bible study and Christian music because God may minister to them when they're gardening or when they're hiking, when they're running, even when they're reading. What is it that gives you the strength to go on every day? Or I've really experienced this too, and it hurts. I understand how much it hurts. I'll tell you the the most healing thing that was ever said to me. You are not weak or broken because you get up every day and persevere through this. You are strong. We aren't broken because we're in pain. The most important thing you can say to somebody is, I am here just because of who you are and because what you are feeling is important to me and to God. So, can I never give godly advice? I'll give you three words. Carefully, prayerfully, and sparingly. Now, if you ask my kids, they'll tell you that I totally don't do this. And it's true. Moms are people of counsel, right? And so as they're becoming young adults, I'm trying really hard to pull back and only to give advice when they ask. And they'll come to me and they'll say, well, what about this in your relationship with dad? How do you deal with this? And so I'll give them my counsel. And, and I'm trying when they're not, don't do that. To just ask questions and may come back in five or six years and ask them if I've improved uh, is something I'm working on. But if someone asks for your input, be very, very careful. If you haven't experienced that situation, you shouldn't give them advice. If your kids didn't have learning disabilities or behavioral problems, and you're talking to a woman who's on her face in the bathroom every morning in prayer, as my friend was, you don't need to tell them any advice. You just need to listen. If you're talking to a teenager and you want to say, well, you know, you really need to obey your parents. It's the right thing to do. It's biblical. You'll get through this tough time. What you might not know is that she was afraid to tell you there's abuse in the home. So be very careful. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wanted his friends to be present. And I believe we can do that. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of Christ. And we have all been ministered by Christ's presence in our life. We have felt the peace and the joy and the hope. And I believe we can give it to each other. I believe we can do that. So as you go with your friends, remember not only that it's okay to be broken because your Christ was broken, but that the way to minister is just to show up and just to be quiet while someone tells you about their pain. If you are in pain and you've experienced this and 
and people in the church have not ministered to you, don't give up. Please keep asking for help. Because we want to give it. If you're not a Christian and you're looking at us as the church, I hope what you see is that we are very broken people walking in a very broken world. And our heart is to love each other. And our heart is to give peace and healing. And we make mistakes every single day. I need to close here. But I just want to say, there is a time when someone reached out to me that to this day, and this was 30 years ago, I grieve because I didn't show up. And I know I damaged their view of Christ and the church. But we can do better. And we can love each other. And I just pray that as you go today, that you will take this to heart. You don't have to have the answers and you don't have to have the right thing to say. The right thing to say is how are you doing? And then to listen. Thank you.